Welcome to this Innovation Forum webinar. I'm Ian Welsh and I'll be your host for the next hour or so. Today is the latest in our big debate webinar series where we take a contentious issue and try to get to the bottom of any misinformation, debunk what has to be debunked and try to find out what reforms are necessary. And today we'll be looking at uh, chemical recycling for plastics and in particular its place in a net zero and circular world. In the midst of our escalating waste crisis and the global call for sustainable solutions, chemical recycling for plastics has emerged as both a potential solution and a subject of spirited debate. The concept of transforming post-use plastic into reusable resources, equivalent to virgin materials through chemical processes, holds significant promise. However, several pitfalls and question marks have been raised around how sustainable the process and its outcomes truly are. I'm delighted that uh, joining our webinar panel today are Nick Cliff, who's Deputy Challenge Director at UKRI. We have Charles Van Ray, Global Lead Packaging Paper and Print at the Cradle to Cradle Products Innovation Institute. We have Chris Dixon, Ocean Campaign Lead at the Environmental Investigation Agency. And Inari Sepa, Director for Circular Advocacy for Europe, Middle East and Africa at Eastman. Uh, my thanks to Innovation Forums, B. Stevenson, Diana Kim and Katie Ball for all they have done to bring the panel together in the run-up to today. Nick, perhaps give us a two-sentence introduction to UKRI and then please tell us what you think the potential for chemical recycling could be and why we should explore this potential. Nick. Thank you, Ian, and good afternoon, everybody. Uh, so I'm indeed Nick Cliff uh, from UKRI, which is UK Research and Innovation um, specifically, I work in the uh, the part of UKRI called Innovate UK, and so we're responsible for driving business-led innovation. And uh, even more specifically, I currently run a multi-year targeted challenge program supporting research and innovation to deliver a more circular and sustainable plastic packaging system. And we have, uh, or we are, funding quite a few projects uh, in the chemical recycling space, including uh, what we think is the UK's first commercial scale pilot plant um, in the form of Renew Mura, which is up in the northeast of the country. So when it comes to the potential for chemical recycling, um, I sort of preface my comments by saying, it is literally my job description to be excited about the potential of new technology. So uh, I'm, I'm easily excitable about, about things like this. But specifically when it comes to chemical recycling, I think, um, you know, it, first and foremost, if the technology is scaled, um, it has the potential to take quite large volumes of plastic waste, uh, plastic packaging waste that are currently not possible to, to recycle and actually return them back into the loop. And in doing so, it has the potential to prevent quite a lot of that polymer, that plastic material, ending up in the environment, um, ending up in landfill, or more likely, given that this is material that's currently being collected, being incinerated, which is a fairly, uh, 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 an environmental outcome that's, that's well down, well down the waste hierarchy, arguably potentially shouldn't even be on it. I think it also has the potential to drive a more closer integration of the recycling industry and the plastic production industry. So to date, the two areas are mostly kept separate and recycled material meets virgin material in the, in the, the sort of the influence of the converters. So they're buying recyclate 
and they're buying virgin material by creating a loop whereby polymer can go back into the manufacture of new polymer you start to bring those two things together uh, and it'd be interesting to explore what the ramifications of that might be and it also potentially will make it simpler for all the people that are going to choose to continue to use plastic to make packaging and other products to, to get recycled content into their um, products and materials to sort of reduce that reliance on, on all virgin materials from all fossil feedstocks. So there's lots of potentials, but of course, you know, it's also worth noting that it has the potential to quite severely disrupt the recycling systems we have at the moment, which although far from perfect, certainly work in some cases and do manage to produce some materials. And some of those are quite finely balanced. So any kind of disruption uh, is going to be interesting from that perspective. And I suppose lastly, of course, chemical recycling has the potential not to work. It might actually not ultimately scale and find its place. And that's why it's so important to the second part of your question to explore the potential of it. Um, you know, there's plenty of technologies out there. Most of them seem to work on paper, but what do you really know until you run one of these things at scale? And the answer is, quite a bit, but not as much as when you run three of these things at scale. So it's about generating data and understanding how these technologies will work. And, um, you know, it's worth bearing in mind that most many mechanical recycling technologies were first brought to market 40 years ago. That's thousands, tens of thousands, probably millions of hours of runtime data that have been used to refine those processes. Exploring the potential lets uh, chemical recyclers really think about their business model. Where do they fit? Where are their feedstocks going to come from? What does taking those feedstocks at what price mean for other recycling operations right the way back to driving and affecting collections? And what might the output of their systems do for uh, the market for these materials overall? So I think there's lots to explore still in terms of the business model. Not certain anyone's quite cracked it yet. There's enormous amounts to explore where we still need more information to properly understand the environmental impact of these processes, both at an individual site level. Until you've run a chemical recycling facility for quite some time, you don't really know how much waste you're going to have, how much uptime you're going to have, how much energy it's actually going to take to run one of these things for 7,000 hours a year. Um, and uh, all of that only data is only going to come if we try this stuff. You've got to make the right decisions based on having the right evidence. And last, but by no means least, why should we explore these things? Um, I think because it's the only way we can truly understand the genuine impact of these things across everything. You know, if chemical recycling works, it could affect packaging and use of packaging design. It could affect collection systems and, and what materials are collected where and how much it costs. It could affect the sorting of collected plastic waste. If we start to make fractions designed for chemical recycling, what does that mean for mechanical recycling and vice versa? And lastly, of course, it's going to have all sorts of impacts on markets and contracts and supply chains. So in summary, uh, I think there's a huge amount of potential there. Um, but there's a lot more information we need so we can do chemical recycling well. Thank you, Nick. Very quick question. Somebody's got uh, a question already asking about the pilot plant you mentioned. Can you give us the name of it and where it is, please? So this is the one in the UK. I work for a UK agency, so we only fund UK-based projects. 
Uh, it's uh, being built by a company in the UK called Renew ELP, but some of the people attending the webinar, webinar might also know them as Mura Technologies, and it's based in Wilton in the, the northeast of England. You talked about the need for uh, innovation, the need to develop the technologies. What will success look like? How will we know if chemical recycling is proven to be a success? Because we're probably not at that stage yet, are we? An individual challenge level, success looks like a successful completion of our of the pilot project that we're funding. Uh, you know, we, we we have no ownership of this. It's it's state aid subsidy control funding, but for us, success will look like that plant up, running, commissioned, and detailed uh, analysis undertaken of the the technology itself and the quality of the outputs. The underlying economics and business model, are they able to secure sufficient feedstocks at the right price and find markets for their outputs that make it commercially viable, of crucial importance for securing investment if this technology is to scale. And uh, uh, of equal importance is a a detailed understanding of the energy footprint, the waste footprint, uh, the emissions footprint of owning and operating that facility. Because again, increasingly, uh those are the sorts of uh, that's the sort of data that you need if you are going to secure investment to grow and scale lots we can come back on there nick but thank you very much indeed for a second this evening charles why don't you give us the two sentence introduction to the cradle to cradle products innovation institute then i've been interested in hearing from you a little bit about some of the challenges that you can see from your experience in the sector in creating truly circular plastic products charles yeah, good afternoon, everybody. Uh, thank you for participating in this call. My name is Charles Van Rij, and I'm a global lead for packaging paper and print for the Cradle to Cradle Products Innovation Institute. What we do is we certify products if they're safe, circular, and responsible made. Before we come to chemical recycling, it's important that we also have a good look how can we, of course, we're all already busy with reduce, reuse, or redesign our products. And in packaging, it has been developed alongside with a retail model. So all kinds of requirements in the retail uh, have been solved also by packaging. And that's also one of the most important ones, shelf life, which is also uh, taking care of a lot of food waste. Um, but the films used for uh, improving shelf life are mostly multi-layers. And multi-layers are one of the problems in the recycling, especially in mechanical cycling. So th- those are the, it's the feedstock, which is actually also on the list for chemical recycling. In the development of, of sustainable packaging, there's a lot of challenges because you have a lot of features to build in and a lot of hurdles to tackle to, uh, to translate it to a sustainable packaging. I myself had a, um, a startup and we were working on a mono pet litting film, uh, which had features which could seal, uh, which for, was focused on the fresh meat industry. And it was, an, uh, was a film which was sealing through contamination and also has um, an anti-mist feature in it, which were b- both uh, apolar, um, apolar, so that is actually, we had a solution with a special um, uh, polymer which could solve that. And we've been trying that, we were working on that, and unfortunately we, didn't, we, we failed with it. But I think there, alongside, there are numbers of those initiatives and all multinationals and small, medium companies who do challenge themselves and see if they can improve this. So, yes, there's a lot of lot to do to, to improve it. And, um, and what I will say, come back to the first one, is 
yeah, let, let's let's reduce and reuse packaging as much as possible. So that's that's, uh, that's what I say. You mentioned the example of the, the the film you're trying to develop and the challenges in developing such a product. Are you able to give any other specific reasons why you weren't able to get it over the line? But it wasn't something you were able to get to market. We had pilot runs, and they were were, were go they were quite going well. We had good good measurements, and then then you're going to try it on on bigger extruders. And um, yeah, we did several attempts, but unfortunately, we didn't we couldn't translate the same results. Uh, from a pilot to a to a bigger intruder, so that's uh, that was our uh, our problem, and that took a lot of time and a lot of money. And that's in the end, the money was also the the one who uh, pulled the plug. It's self in the way, isn't it, Charles? Thanks very much indeed. Lots we can come back to there as well, uh, but thank you very much indeed for for your initial insights, Chris. Why don't you give us likewise the the two sentence intro to the EIA? Then I'd like to hear your thoughts on what you think the place for chemical recycling is. And its potential to help combat the plastic waste crisis. Um, yeah, so EIA is a non-profit organisation, an NGO based in the UK, um, and we work on environmental crime uh, policy and also enforcement. Um, I lead the Ocean Programme, uh, within which uh, we have a work stream related to plastics. Um, and my main area of focus is really working on the negotiations for the forthcoming plastics treaty. So I'm really interested in, for example, how things like chemical recycling fit into um, those new regulations that are being developed. And, you know, what what is the scope for chemical recycling within the treaty and how might it be restricted? Um, so I'm really keen to talk about that if there's time on this webinar, but just to sort of come, I guess, to the question at hand about, you know, what is the role of chemical recycling? Um, from my perspective, I would say that there isn't a role for chemical recycling, um, just from the kind of, I guess, NGO community, like observer perspective, um, we see it as a really high risk technology um, in terms of being energy intensive, um, the risk of toxic emissions, um, you know, plastics themselves contain a lot of toxic additives and chemicals of concern. Um, for example, in the treaty, um, at the moment, we're talking about 10,000 chemicals of concern, which are in plastics, and only I think a third of those are actually regulated or, or thereabouts. So, um, you know, we have a huge problem with toxicity in plastics, and that, that doesn't go away when we come to chemically recycling. Um, these plastics. There's also the fact that, you know, right now, um, and I think Nick sort of alluded to this, you know, we have um, mechanical recycling technology, which is definitely a kind of pre preferred, environmentally speaking, um, treatment for plastics, um, which is quite well established. Um, and chemical recycling is going to kind of put feedstocks in competition. I think it's a bit of a myth. Um, you know, I certainly, when I first heard about chemical recycling, I understood that it was going to be this magic technology that could deal with contaminated plastics. So, you know, my background is working in fishing gear, for example, fishing gear recycling, agricultural plastics, you know, these very kind of soiled plastics, which don't really have um, a route to kind of safe recyclability. Um, and actually, you know, at the moment, the, the kind of technology that exists and is demonstrated still relies on clean pre-sorted plastics for, for chemical recycling treatment. Um, so it isn't really correct to say that this is going to be some solution for these um, heavily contaminated plastics. So I think that there are a number of concerns about the viability um, and not least the issues I think um, Nick, you alluded to. And I think, Charles, you kind of also highlighted this as well in, in your comments about, you know, what is the economic viability, the scalability? We've seen numerous chemical recycling um, initiatives uh, collapse. Yet at the same time, we're seeing increased investment um, in this kind of industry unicorn. Um, ultimately speaking, if we don't deal with the amount of plastic we're actually producing, um, we're never going to find a solution that deals with it deals with it at the end of its life. And I think when it comes to recycling, we really have to think about the fact that 
you know, based on current levels of production and consumption, if the full plastics life cycle was a country, it would be the fifth largest emitter in the world, which is actually, frankly, mad to think about. Um, it's a very uh, climate intensive industry at every stage. Um, and that's based on kind of current levels of production and consumption. So if we keep investing in climate intensive solutions like chemical recycling, as well as kind of our pathway to rampant overproduction of plastics, um, we're absolutely going to sail straight past our net zero commitments. So I think we have to bear all of that in mind. It's really the climate impacts, but also the toxicity concerns and then the economic viability. Should we really be using you know, government institutional financing um, to finance these kind of false solutions? Or should we, looking, should we be looking at solutions for the future, like investment in scaling reuse and refill infrastructure, which is personally where I'd want to put my money. Um, so I hope that kind of answers your question and gives some food for thought to kick us off in the discussion what's your solution for right now then we've got lots of plastic that's being incinerated lots of plastics just releasing into the environment chemical recycling does offer a potential solution for solution for that what, what's your solution to it Yes, I mean, it's a really good question. At the moment, I want to see that um, governments are really committing to a drastic phase down in plastic production um, and a ban on global waste exports. Um, right now, countries like the UK, countries within the EU, but also the US, Japan, um, are structurally dependent on offshoring our burden of plastic waste, um, often to uh, low income countries, which don't have the capacity to deal with our waste. But we get to kind of wipe our hands of it and say that we've done our job recycling. Um, that gives a kind of false picture of actually what is the plastic waste crisis that we're dealing with? What does it actually look like? There's very little transparency within the global plastic waste trade, lots of loopholes. It's very open to illegality um, and very poor enforcement. Um, so right now, we don't even really have a, a good grasp on you know, what are the quantities of plastic waste that are being traded and then illegally disposed of or poorly disposed of. Um, so we need to really get a grip on that. Um, and that means looking at um, you know, our own house, getting our own house in order. So if we ban global, uh, black ban waste exports, for example, from the UK, um, then we really know how much we're gonna have to deal with domestically, what does a drastic reduction in production and consumption look like for the UK? What does um, capacity and infrastructure development need to look like in the UK if we can't rely on exporting, for example, all of our packaging waste to countries like Turkey? Let's just very briefly talk about the Global Plastics Treaty. There's a draft, of course, been released this week. What does the draft say about chemical recycling and its role in, in, in the moving forwards? There isn't really specific text about um, chemical recycling as a sort of named technology, but there's lots of caveats in there around waste management, um, you know, different treatment technologies. Um, when we looked at the sort of pre-zero draft, it was called the options paper, there was a specific provision in there, actually, um, whether the global community could consider a ban on um, harmful waste treatment activities and amongst incineration, co-processing and cement kilns um, and landfilling, um, open burning, chemical recycling was actually bracketed in that group, um, which is very interesting. So I would expect in the negotiations in November, chemical recycling to be discussed, you know, will there be a kind of prohibition on chemical recycling as a technology, which is obviously, I'm sure, a concern for um, people like Nick, who might be investing in this if it's something that ends up being banned in two to three years time. Um, but we really need to be thinking about that kind of long term view and, and what the kind of implications of lock ins are. Um, it's not just the Global Plastics Treaty, but um, chemical recycling was really hotly debated at the Basel Convention, also 
so this year, there was a conference of parties. Um, and in the end, it was agreed that chemical recycling cannot be considered an environmentally sound treatment of plastic waste. So that was debated for nearly two weeks all through the night um, because delegates just couldn't agree on this. But ultimately, they're just it was agreed that there wasn't sufficient evidence to say that this is environmentally sound. And the decisions that happen in the Basel Convention will also impact the discussions that happen in the Global Plastics Treaty. So, you know, it would be wise to sort of pay attention to this emerging global governance framework and see the tenor of those conversations, you know, how different member states are actually viewing chemical recycling, because there's quite, um, you know, strong opposition to chemical recycling as a technology in, in some countries. Let me turn to you. Um, Eastman is, of course, or has, of course, been developing chemical recycling technology for some time. Give us a two second intro or a two sentence intro, rather, to Eastman. And then please respond to some of the challenges that have been presented, some of the uh, difficulties and potentials around uh, chemical recycling, and explain where you think chemical recycling can best be positioned. Um, my name is Inari Seppa. Uh, I lead our circular economy advocacy efforts here in, in Europe. Now, Eastman is a materials innovation company. I mean, the company is over 100 years old. We are headquartered in the United States. And anything we do, we have a single purpose as a sort of a corporation, enhancing the life uh, in a material way. Also, uh, our innovation growth strategy is really based on sustainability megatrends and drivers, acknowledging there's a lot of people on earth, the climate is changing, uh, supposedly, and that obviously there is a waste challenge as well. So one of the megatrends where we are really paying attention is the plastics waste challenge. So having listened to all the comments before, I would like to start from the beginning explaining what is actually chemical recycling, because I think there are lots of misunderstandings and misconceptions what it actually is. So um, I think Nick is very well aware, it's not just one technology, it's a family of technologies. And those technologies, chemical recycling, they use chemical processes to break down the plastics waste into molecular level. And then these molecules, because they are virgin-like, uh, they can be put back together into high quality products, whether those are plastics, intermediates, pharmaceuticals, or anything else. So it's not just one technology. So the blanket statement that chemi uh, chemical recycling is environmentally uh, not beneficial is a very dangerous uh, uh, statement to make. Um, the other thing to consider about chemical recycling technologies is that there are truly new innovations in this. There is a really um, uh, acknowledgement that we need to do something with the plastics waste because it will it will be there. There's a lot of plastics. Even if we stop the plastics production today, there's still a lot of plastics out there that is actually worthwhile trying to keep in the circulation. So there's a lot of innovation going on, see, looking at different plastics, because plastic is not only one thing, there are many plastics. So something like enzymatic recycling has, has sort of emerged as a new innovation. But a lot and probably the most of global chemical recycling innovations are aiming to use the existing processes and assets for new purpose. So in this case, you know, for example, in a chemical process, plastics waste would be used as a feedstock instead of fossil fuels. And these processes are already up and running. They already make the intermediate materials and products that we need every day already. So simply 
what chemical recycling often tries to do or chemical companies try to do, they try to use different feedstock in their current assets because the assets are very capital intensive. So, so I, I would sort of start, maybe this is a trivial thing, but I just want to make sure that there's an understanding of that. So from the Eastman perspective, we are, as I said, we're placing significant efforts in scaling up chemical recycling technologies, uh, being a materials innovation company, running large assets. And, and we're really aware of the need to tackle plastics waste globally. Um, and we already have two different chemical recycling technologies. So one we call carbon renewal technology, and the other one we call polyester renewal technology. And I will very briefly explain what's what. So for the chemical re uh, carbon renewal process, it's, uh, the process itself, we have been running for decades already in our facility, producing the essential raw materials from fossil feedstock, what we need for our production uh, to supply various industries, various markets. But about five years ago, we started actually intentionally replace part of the feedstock with waste, with plastics waste. Um, and this is a process that tolerates any type of plastic waste, uh, even to some level of contamination. And the end product still continues to be the high quality intermediates which we need. So in a way, yes, the process may be energy intensive, but it is a process that must be run anyway. So the good part, a, a large part of the goodness is that at least a lot of plastics waste is being diverted away from incineration and landfill and actually used to put back into products. So polyester renewal technology is a different technology for us. Um, and it is designed to tackle one type of plastic, which is polyester. We know the PET bottles, that is not what we are aiming to do. There's a lot of other polyesters out there. This is an interesting thing because this is actually a technology, it's a chemical recycling technology, depolymerization of polyesters, which we operated have operated already for decades at industrial scale up until 2001. And that is comes back from our connection with Kodak. And at the point, at some point, it was, there was no need anymore to operate this. But however, what we have seen recently, as we are all aware, there's, a, there's really a need to do something to the plastics waste um, and keep it, keep plastic raw materials in circulation. So we decided to take this technology back off the shelf, scale it up and start using it to turn hard to recycle polyester waste into building blocks that we need to make products that we would be using anyway. And, and to Nick's point, these are really hard to recycle uh, plastics waste, such as textiles, carpets, colored articles, sometimes multi-layer products, which cannot today or are not commonly today mechanically recycled and aren't mechanically recyclable either. So this is really, aiming to divert large amount of polyester rich waste away from incineration and landfill. We also are very aware that these are small steps, um, what we are doing, even though we, our facility, which we are in the process of finalizing in our headquarters in the United States, is going to be the world's largest uh, polyester chemical recycling facility. It's not the only solution. Um, but it is one of the solutions which we believe should be in our toolbox and in a consideration set. 
how it will these technologies will eventually fit into the whole bigger picture remains to be seen. But of course, we know that plastics is an essential the everyday materials. We can't eliminate them because they're really invaluable in certain applications. We know healthcare, food packaging was mentioned. And it also should be acknowledged that plastics as lightweight, durable and safe alternatives to other materials have helped to decarbonize our society significantly. But then coming back to Chris, your comment, it certainly we should always consider start with reduction. So do we really need to do this? Any material is not only plastics, any material. Can we reuse? Can we fix something? Can we repair where possible? But even in the end, even reduce, redu um, reduce products will become waste. So something needs to be done. So the choice is either uh, put them in the landfill, incinerate them, or really look into seriously how the material can be kept in circulation through the recycling technologies. One way of looking at this is that if we accept chemical recycling as part of the solution, we can actually increase and make the recyclable plastics waste by much bigger than it is today. So we can actually recycle and give in circulation wider variety of wastes and plastic waste and really turn them into high quality intermediates, these molecules, which are virgin-like um, to materials and products. So small steps, huge potential, and certainly we need to look into new business models. Uh, everybody talks about circular economy. It's a new business model. It calls for change. Um, so there might be not perfection yet, but significant progress is being made with these technologies at very fast pace. And I think if we aim for perfection today, we might actually lose a sight that the perfection might prevent us to progress where we really need to go in the long run. And we're talking about tens of years, not just two, three years. I wonder, can you just address the point that in fact Chris raised it around um, contamination? You alluded to some sort of contamination is is, can, is it okay in feedstock. Well, how contaminated? I mean, how far is chemical recycling processes? How far are we are they from being able to recycle and re and recreate for for virgin materials from chemical, you know, from from sorry, from from medical waste, from food waste, uh, you know, food touching type films? How far are we are we from that? My answer would be it depends which chemical recycling technology you are talking about. So they are not all alike. Like even now, I mentioned we have the carbon renewal technology and polyester renewal technology. Now, the big difference there is that the carbon renewal technology tolerates, it's a process that utilizes high temperature, extremely high temperature. Therefore, it actually can tolerate much more contamination in the feedstock as for example, something that is a process that is targeting a specific polymer, like our polyester and Luol technology, the process itself is targeted to depolymerize, i.e. break down the polyester, uh, uh, polyester polymers. Anything else will be a side stream from that process. So, so therefore, you really want to put into your process uh, as pure polyester-rich polymer waste as possible. Now, when I say uh, polyester-rich, 
it doesn't mean that it is a clear PET bottle, not at all. It can be something with dyes, it can be with textiles, as long as majority is polyester. Let's get to questions. Um, there are a couple of questions that I know our panel want to uh, respond to directly. So Nick, uh, there's a question earlier on, it's been quite uh, popular. Uh, how are you thinking about uh, toxicity, toxicity levels in recycled plastics? What are your views on that? It's, it helps to sort of, I think, separate out, you know, there's lots of comments around uh, contamination, toxicity, so on and so forth. Almost all feedstocks into a recycling process, be it mechanical or chemical, will carry contaminants uh, for all sorts of reasons, often because people put weird things into their bin. Uh, and, and packaging uh, is used to contain everything from pure mountain spring water, if you're not happy using a tap, to, to motor oils, um, it's used to carry pharmaceuticals and so on and so forth. So an enormous amount of time, energy and effort goes in to ensuring that the outputs from recycling operations, no matter what technology you use, are safe and fit for purpose. So if you're producing, uh, a few people have referenced food grade recycler. So if you're producing a food grade recycler, um, you have to meet very, very, very stringent uh, testing protocols by law. Um, protocols that in fact, in some cases, don't actually apply. The same testing rigor doesn't apply to virgin resins, although yeah, it's a much more controlled process. Um, but, uh, you know, that's that. And so with chemical recycling, as, as other people have said, there's different ways you can do it. It's, it's a grab bag term. Some chemical recycling processes take things back to polymers, polymer chains, um, and then can be cleaned. Some go right back to monomers and get reconstructed into new plastic. They're all sort of intrinsically really good at decontamination, removing any residual materials that is traveling with the plastic. Um, but we need to ensure that the proper monitoring and measuring is in place so we can really understand the risk and make our judgments accordingly. It is mostly too early to say, but for the most part, I would say that we'll, chemical recycling will lend itself to really strongly decontaminating better than mechanical recycling. Mechanical recycling has a lot of experience in this place and that's yet to be proved. But the flip side is anything that comes into your recycling plant, whether you're a mechanical recycling plant or a chemical recycling plant, has to go somewhere. So if heavily contaminated waste plastic comes into a recycling plant, if you have to wash it first, that contamination has gone into the water. So you've got to be in a position to be able to deal with and clean that up. If it's carried into the plastic for low grade recycler, that's a problem for your customer. So the industry really focuses on developing solutions for this, um, but it's it's really closely monitored for. Chris, um, I want you to answer a question if you don't mind, just I alluded to it a bit earlier on. Is the EIA's answer to rid of plastic? How are you gonna do that? I guess, well, the short answer is no, but I'll elaborate. You know, it's not our vision that it's remotely possible to get rid of all plastic. But I like to think that perhaps we could all agree that there are many, many unnecessary applications for which plastic are currently being used. You know, considering that this is a finite resource, um, some of the ways in which we are using this finite resource don't make any sense. I'm thinking about, you know, the myriad of short-lived single-use plastics, um, sachets, etc. You know, there's many times on my 
my day to day that I see a pointless use of plastics. Um, and so we aren't really going to get anywhere. Um, we already agree, I think, that waste management is struggling with the capacity for what we are currently burdening it with. So we need to radically reduce the amount of plastic that is being produced. Um, and we could start, uh, you know, our proposal, and I think this is shared by um, many other, not just NGOs, but also governments working on, for example, the Plastics Treaty, is that we can start by targeting um, the polymers of concern. So those are the polymers where, you know, there'll be a criteria that's agreed, um, which could include things like, you know, the hazard, the hazardous nature of the polymer, um, whether it's recyclable, um, risk of leakage into the environment. Um, so you could kind of tackle those, those groups of chemicals that are in those polymers of concern as an initial matter for an immediate, immediate phase down, right? Um, under a binding new agreement. Um, you know, countries would commit to doing that, but that's still only going to be a fraction of the overall volume of plastic that's being produced and used. Um, so we need to also have an approach for dealing with um, aggregate plastic production reduction. Um, you know, so our proposal would be that there's um, a targeted phase down um, to um, what's kind of being called sustainable levels. We need to agree as a global community, you know, what is a sustainable volume of plastic production and consumption that we're comfortable with that keeps us within planetary boundaries which will safeguard the climate system which will protect human health when we can agree on that then we need to structure our phase down to, to reach those levels um, and that can be done through for example the new plastics treaty so i think it's really important to think about you know there's the polymers of concern um, the toxicity and like like almost every problem related to plastic pollution um, the solutions begin at the production side at product design, because maybe we can talk about chemical recycling once we've dealt with toxicity. Um, because if we know that there's toxic emissions um, through this process um, that are related to both the process, but also plastics as a material, if we can deal with those at the production and product design stage, you know, then maybe we can talk about the solutions that recycling can play here. But until until we've dealt with those, I, I really don't think it's appropriate. We need to really be focusing on, you know, what is what does the future look like in terms of sustainability, um, in terms of staying within planetary boundaries. And is recycling going to fit there or should we be thinking about reducing our overall material footprint, looking at um, alternative systems of delivery? Question I want to put to Charles and to Inari. Um Question is our most popular question. And, and it boils down to when we're thinking about solutions here. How do we prioritise packaging closed loop versus least carbon intensive recycling solution? How do we get the balance there? And is there a is there a, what is the balance or the best balance look like? Charles, do you know if I crack at that one? Yeah, um, yeah. Just wonderful. Have also a remark on on, on plastics. Plastics have been very successful, and, and and also plastic will remain. And so we have to face with that. And and uh, that's also what we do when we certify companies. We um, we certify products and we certify them on on uh, on reducing re reusing and. And when you come on board, you get a certification that's on a certain level and from, from bronze to, to platinum. But we keep on challenging them that you reduce or you find mono solutions or you um, make steps that you reduce the plastic use or improve, bring in more recycled content. Um, so that's where we as, a, as our program focusing on. And that's the, the carbon uh, use is there parallel coming into. Sorry, can you answer the question around can you, how do you balance closed loop versus least carbon intensive recycling solutions? We as, as the institute, we now focus on the, on the close, as, as much as focus on the closed loop. And I think also uh, in recycling on, on plastics will also have um, a big, uh, strong, uh, will develop also on, in smaller loops. I think especially also with chemical recycling because of the feedstock is 
in some cases, especially post-consumer, very contaminated, especially there are some results from the Netherlands that that only was thirty um, percent was 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 so strong con- contaminated with thirty uh, percent was with co- not plastics. So that means that there's a lot of to do also to get this feedstock to a better level. So I think um, to improve recyclability, we have to get more um, focus also on the the closed loop in, in specific regions, and and, the, and there also you get your recycle uh, streams. And Eric, just thinking about it in terms of you know, Eastman's approach, how do you get the balance in terms of you know ensuring that the solutions that you're developing are going to be you know less environmentally impactful than the existing solutions? I mean, how do you ensure that you are indeed creating a solution that is better than what's already there, or indeed thinking in terms of you know an incineration type model? We have a, made a commitment that we will not actually scale up any technology that has higher carbon footprint or hi, uh, higher environmental impacts than our current technologies. So that, that is a sort of a, the starting point. Well, how do you measure it? It's always going to be challenges, always going to be challenges. So um, I mean, if, if we think about, and for this, obviously, we use the life cycle assessment, uh, which is... Uh, carried out by external party and also uh, validated by uh, independent uh, advisory board just to ensure that what is there actually is relevant and it is we can we can rely on that so going back to for example the polyester renewal technology that we are actually scaling up as we speak um there if, if we consider that we are using plastics as a feedstock versus we start from fossil feedstock. You already can think that how many steps are eliminated from between the plastic and the fossil feedstock. So you don't actually have to, you eliminate up to 10 different production steps already. So that already contributes to the lower carbon footprint. And and when we make the life cycle assessments, we don't compare, for example, with mechanical recycling, because that is, and that is not a competition. We don't compete with that. Mechanical recycling is environmentally, uh, has lowest carbon footprint. We compare to what we would do normally, what we have to do normally. So by using, making our building blocks, starting from plastics waste actually has a significant reduction in the carbon footprint of our operations. Okay, I'm going to break my rule on not using questions from anonymous attendees because there's a really great question uh, that's the next most popular. There's a concern that um, chemical recycling facilities will contribute to the disproportionate pollution burden already borne by low-income countries um, and as our, our, our as, the, as the attendee says, communities of colour. Are the environmental justice impacts of chemical recycling facilities being considered and evaluated and how can they be mitigated? Okay, big question. Nick, in your investigations into all of this, how are you going to ensure that uh, the burdens of the facilities that potentially will not be borne disproportionately? First and foremost, at, at the level of the individual interventions that we've made within our programme. Someone else has asked, I know I use the term invest, but I don't, I invest with a lowercase i, I provide subsidies and grants from public money. So it's beholden on me operating within the UK to uh, every every project that asks us for funding, we carry out a detailed assessment. And for the really big 
pilot demonstrator plants that we funded, that's a very comprehensive assessment. And we developed a, a, a specific to my challenge program, an independent environmental impact framework, which we scored all our applicants against. So we've been as sure as possible that the, 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 the projects that we funded have taken into account to the best available knowledge, the potential environmental and social impacts of the projects that they're undertaking. That's all I can control as a public sector funding body. Um, beyond that, we're, it's a requirement for us that um, any company that we work with, any project that we fund complies with all relevant local law and legislation. So again, within the UK, environmental protections are quite tough. Um, they're, they're not perfect, but what piece of legislation ever is. When it comes to um, what might happen with chemical recycling technology, when these technologies are proven and, and effectively building one becomes a question of have I got the land and have I got the money and have I got the feedstock? I think that's something that we will, that, 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 that the whole sector needs to think about very carefully. I mean, my one observation would be that early indications are that chemical recycling, particularly if you're um, producing a material that's going to go back directly into the manufacture of uh, polymers and chemical products, probably best co-located close to the facilities that make these materials in the first instance. So you're, you're looking at industrial sites and so on and so forth, where there's a lot of scrutiny. But, um, you know, we, we there's, there's, I said at the, the outset, you know, I get really excited about the potential for innovation and technology. You know, uh, there's so much more we could do to deal with industrial emissions, be they um, uh, gases that, that disrupt the climate, the CO2s and things like that, or, 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 or chemical byproducts of processes. We could, we, we, we're as good as we can be, but but there's a lot more we could do and we could be a lot better at it. And we just have to hope that that companies take their responsibilities seriously and, and treat these technologies uh, uh, in a way that is completely appropriate for the communities in which they operate. I'd like to restrict our panellists now to short answers, so 30-second answers. We have a lot of things to get through. Um, in, in our aid, do you want to comment briefly on the kind of location of facilities, given that Eastman obviously is locating these sort of facilities? Just very briefly, the concerns you are, what you, how do you take into account the, the concerns of our question around location and ensuring that any burdens from the, that location are, are not borne in, in proportionately? So I fully agree with uh, what was said, is that the location is important. You don't want to recycle products just for the recycling sake. Something somebody has to take the output. So therefore, as I said in the beginning, a lot of development is now connected to actually the chemical companies who are producing uh, already products that we need every day. They're being produced and now looking into using different feedstock in order to try to reduce the amount of fossil fuels we need to produce what we need. I'd like to paraphrase a question at the top of our list at the moment around the fact that the petrochemical industry seems to be really heavily focusing on, on uh, chemical recycling. Um, what extent is it that, or is it cynical to say that um, the petrochemical industry is kind of putting its eggs into the chemical recycling basket because it allows um, for a business as usual approach? Briefly, Chris. Um, briefly, yes. 
<laughs> you know, plastics is the big plan B um, for the petrochemical industry. You know, as uh, we focus away from um, oil and gas for energy use, plastics is the big area for investment. Um, so there's, it's a very lucrative business um, set for big expansion um, if it's not regulated. Um, so, yeah, of course. Um, but yeah, I feel like you answered your you answered my question with your with your question. <laughs> I kind of thought you'd say that, Chris. Yeah. Um, Charles, then what's the role of certifiers and other similar bodies then to to push the industry away from just simply allowing a business as usual approach from producing ever more petrochemical related uh, plastics? Yeah. We, what, what we do, we we measure uh, products and we measure them on the, on, on the what the, the, the recycled content or renewable content. And then um, we uh, challenge them on on design, so that the design is, is is taking them away from uh, fossil fossil based products. And also we do um, and we look at them. We measure the how they are in the system. Is there a system in place so uh, you can have a recyclable product but not recycled? So and uh, you see that a lot. Uh, people uh, making statements that uh, we have a product that's one hundred percent recyclable, but it ends up uh, in landfill. So. Um, people have to be responsible also that we also take care of, of the whole the whole value chain and that's that's you see this this see all the steps coming and we should embrace all initiatives and all steps which have been done now and you see a lot of initiatives also among our certificate holders which are uh, reaching out in the value chain to create to create more cooperation together because that's the only way forward and also to control the feedstock in the end thank you um inari harris been developing recycling facilities for non-petrochemical uh, derived plastic. Is there such a thing? Uh, you mean bio-based, renewable plastics? I mean, plastics. future plastics are, are, are materials that are not based on um, on petrochemicals. You mean recycle, recycle, plastics with recycled content? Or plastics derived from cornstarch, other, other, other materials? I mean, obviously, we are looking at anything, everything. Uh, we actually are... Uh, have a uh, big uh, a stream of our products are based on renewable plastics, so cellulose-based uh, plastics as well, and cellulose-derived products in, in general. So absolutely, we are uh, obviously looking at that perspective as well um, and uh, looking into more durable products when it comes to the petrochemicals derived as well. Um, obviously, durability, coming back to the reusability, is very important. But also, we are looking, always considering what is the end of life for these products. Next question I want to consider is um, one from, from Amy Myers. Um, again, a popular question. She asks, or she's, she, she points out, or Amy points out, that um, uh, chemically recycled polyester can stay in the supply chain longer than mechanically recycled polyester due to the strength of the polymer structure after going through the process. Um, I wonder if any of our panelists could talk about that and how that might impact sourcing decisions in the future. I mean, is that in fact the case? Inari, uh, do you know what that is that the case? Chemically recycled polyester can in fact be stronger than, phys than physically recycled? So, I mean, let's take a PET bottle very quickly. Uh, it can be mechanically recycled. It should be mechanically recycled, provided that consumers put it in the place where it is collected. It ends up being sorted and diverted into the right place where it's it is going to be recycled. Absolutely. But every time the uh, polymer plastic goes through a heat history, the chains get shorter and shorter and shorter. 
Therefore, you hear about this term downcycling, and okay, that's very debatable, but sometimes you cannot make clear bottles anymore. After certain cycles, you have to put colors in, you have to maybe use textiles. What chemical uh, recycling does, depolymerization does, it does break the polymer down to the basic uh, molecules and basic monomers, building blocks, which means that these monomers can be actually built back to virgin quality, polyesters, which can be made back to uh, BT bottles again, which can then be mechanically recycled. So chemical recycling, particularly polyester, depolymerization technology can be considered sort of a refreshing the uh, polyester along the way to make sure that they actually the product stays and those raw materials stay in circulation. We talked a bit about plastic waste export bans earlier. Um, we have a questioner, uh, Gender Up, points out that um, it's diff the, these allow it, make it difficult to develop in uh, countries economically efficient, economically efficient recycling schemes to reach plastic streams. So could chemical recycling bridge that gap? And if so, how? I guess that's a question probably for you, Inari. Waste exports. Yeah, waste export bans. Can chemical recycling bridge the gap in, in countries where allowing them to develop economically efficient uh, recycling schemes? What's the role of chemical recycling in helping there? So I think we need to think about there's lots of uh, things in the play. There's not just one solution. Think chemical recycling as a complementary. So it is a huge capital investment. Operational costs are high. So you don't just build the chemical recycling plants everywhere. So if you can mechanically recycle, that's what you should always consider first. If that is a process that can give you the output that is needed for the application uh, that is desired, use that because that is a low cost capital investment, low running costs. Chemical recycling is really, it's a large scale and it is really should be viewed as a complementary effort in this picture. I'm coming towards the end of our time, but I do want to ask, ask this one final point, uh, and uh, any of our panellists are very welcome to jump in. Um, data, uh, how much data is there on the percentage of plastic waste being processed by technologies that is actually been recycled into new plastic products versus being used as fuel? Does anybody know the, know that, the numbers there? How much is being processed into new plastics and how much is this going to incineration? Does anybody know? Well, I can comment, but I, I don't think that there are numbers, you know, how much goes to fuel. Again, this is very process um, dependent. Uh, different chemical recycling technologies, depolymerization simply depolymerizes the polymer, so it takes it into part, no fuel as a side product. There are processes where inevitably you have a fuel as a side product. And again, it depends on the particular process because even within, we talk about sometimes talk in Europe, particularly pyrolysis, there are different pyrolysis technologies, there are different ways of dealing with the pyrolysis oil. So again, it's very process dependent you know what how much fuel is actually coming as a byproduct one final question for our panel we're coming towards the end for each of you in the light of the discussions from the last hour what is the role of chemical recycling of plastics within our move towards a net zero world uh chris you can go first but very briefly sure um i would say uh it's the very bottom of the waste hierarchy and all of our interventions should focus on uh, reduction and prevention uh, reuse before we even consider a discussion on chemical recycling. Thank you. Uh, Charles? I would say reduce, um, reuse first and then uh, next to the traditional recycling model um, methods, uh, 
chemical recycle is is a solution to to deal with with complex uh, plex, uh, packaging, which otherwise will end up in landfill or incinerate. Okay, um, Inari. Yeah, I would say ditto to that. Absolutely, reduce, reuse where you can. Focus on focus on that, but there will be waste, and there is a lot of waste already. So, what is our choice now? If we don't accept a proven recycling technology to deal with that, what is the option? So chemical recycling certainly will play a role. It will not be a single solution, but it will play a role. Okay, and thank you. And, and, and Nick, right back to the beginning, you, you, t- you started us off. So where do you think we're going to go with this in the future? For me, chemical recycling is a stepping stone. It's, it's one more place we can put our foot as we get towards the world that we desperately need. And, and in terms of what might come next, we're already seeing early stage applications for biological recycling where microbes and enzyme-based systems are able to to recover molecules and return them back into feedstocks. We're doing this in test tubes, and they're quite small test tubes, but, you know, that's where we were with chemical recycling a few years ago. And um, so in perhaps in, we all make a mark in our diaries in 10 years' time, we can all get back together and have this debate again around biological recycling. I certainly expect to have a debate a bit earlier than 10 years from now, but um, you're right, we can make a date for 10 years as well. Okay, um, we're out of time. Many, many thanks indeed to our panel for their insights and, and candor, and to you all for all your questions. We didn't get through them all. Just a quick note from us, we will be continuing the discussions at the Future of Plastic and Packaging Conference on the 3rd and 4th of October in Amsterdam. There will be senior representatives from Nestle, Henkel, Kraft Heinz, you know, for many more joining us. I know Charles is joining us. Uh, as well, and some of Inera's uh, uh, East, um, Eastman colleagues too. If you'd like to join us, you can register via the Innovation Forum website, of course. And I hope to see many of you in Amsterdam next month. And do look out for the rest of the Innovation Forum autumn webinar series coming up over the coming months. But for now, thank you very much indeed, and goodbye. <laughs>